Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Craft and Cluster podcast, a show all about marketing your wine brand in the digital age. I'm your host, Heather Danitz, a photographer and social media consultant based in Santa Barbara Wine Country. I help wineries tell the true stories of how they get their wine from grape to glass. In today's episode, we are talking with Brian Seamus, an alcohol beverage attorney based in Los Alamos, California. Brian provides experienced counsel to alcohol, beverage, and agribusiness industry stakeholders with emphasis on industry, commercial, and real estate transactions, mergers, and acquisitions, and alcohol, beverage, licensing, and trade compliance. Having been a compliance manager at my previous job at a vineyard management company, I'm often concerned about ensuring that the tips I'm giving for marketing on social media are not only effective at selling wine, but also legal. It was natural, therefore, that I would want to ensure I was bringing an attorney on the podcast who specializes in alcohol beverage law. In addition to his practice, Brian is a professor in the Wine and Viticulture Department at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo where he teaches an upper division course in wine law and compliance. Brian also previously taught wine law and compliance as an adjunct professor of law at Pepperdine University's School of Law and regularly speaks at symposiums, universities, and continuing education seminars on alcohol beverage law. In today's episode, Brian and I talk about how wine brands can stay legal while marketing their wine on social media and give practical tips on some social media best practices. Let's dive in. All right. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Hey, good afternoon. Uh, Great. Everything's going great. That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. This is going to be a really valuable conversation. I'm really excited for the listeners to, you know, to start getting a little bit more compliant with their social media practices. Oh yeah. That's what we want. Compliance. (laughs) Everybody's favorite topic. (laughs) It's everyone's favorite topic. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your relationship to the wine industry? Uh, Sure. Uh, So I am an attorney. Uh, My practice is focused on the alcohol beverage industry. Uh, So I provide uh, counsel to alcohol beverage industry stakeholders across all the commodities, uh, beer, wine, spirits, and, and throughout the tier. So production, wholesale, uh, retail, uh, even people that are acquiring raw ground and planting vineyards and stuff like that. Uh, most of the work that I do is focused on industry commercial transactions, real estate transactions, mergers and acquisition. And then another big part of my practice, which is kind of uh, dovetails into what we'll, we'll do today and what we'll talk about today is uh, alcohol beverage industry licensing and trade compliance advisory. So uh, advising clients on on meeting the various uh, business practices that are outlined by the regulatory agencies. So my background, I, I, I went to uh, Cal Poly for undergrad. I have a degree in wine and viticulture. And then when I got out of law school, kind of kept in touch with a lot of my friends that were in the industry and built this practice over the decade and uh, have uh, had the fortune of working with a lot of really great friends and industry folks growing businesses here on the Central Coast. That's wonderful. And that's actually how you and I met. Uh, we met through your wife, uh, who, what is she doing these days? 
Shemaine uh, still works for Cork Supply USA. Um, as you can imagine, they supply corks uh, right in the name. And uh, uh, yeah, so she, she's worked for Cork Supply for the last uh, five, six years. Before that, she was at Roblar, worked at Henry Wine Group for a while. Uh, but she really, she really likes uh, the sales gig. There's, there are very few human beings that love cold calls, and my wife is one of them. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, so she and I met uh, via the Women in Wine on the Central Coast group, as both being sort of in the wine industry, but sort of adjacent to the actual winery field. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, and so you and I met through Shemaine, and. It's so exciting. I'm so, this is really cool that you'll be able to walk us through some of the more, you know, mundane aspects of of the wine industry, but in the way that makes it a little bit more understandable and, and, and all that. So I'm really excited to, to dive into this topic. So you and I were talking before, before we hit record here, we were talking about how this topic came to mind for me. And part of it was that we, I was watching the direct-to-consumer symposium online, and there was a section on essentially how to be legal on social media. And one of my friends and I were talking about it and kind of discussing it, and we were both like, you know, it was a little... It was hard, a little hard to follow, a little hard to understand because the presenter was giving, you know, rightfully so, giving a lot of the legal terms, the legal language for each of these policies that wineries need to be following. And we didn't know how to translate that into uh, into our everyday language. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to give us, you know, in layman's terms, some of the wine do's and don'ts as they relate to social media. Yeah, I think what what will be helpful or instructive is I will try to when I'm, you know, talking about a particular practice or policy that I would advise people to follow, uh, I will give you the citation to either the the federal code section or the California Business and Professions Code. So if somebody wants to jump in and get into the nitty gritty and really try to parse it out, you can do that. I think today will kind of be a little bit more of a of a high level discussion. Um, and I'll you know try and keep it like you said in layman's terms, and and hopefully illuminate some of the reasons why these policies are also in place. Sometimes that can be really confusing because a lot of these policies have very deep historically rooted reasons why they exist, and those reasons uh, come from stuff that happened a hundred years ago, uh, late eighteen hundreds, and during prohibition. And we still have all of these rules and policies that are in place to to curb the the social evils or ills that were perceived to exist uh, as the result of alcohol sales and various ways that the different tiers interacted with each other. And so we'll, I'll try and make it interesting in, in kind of giving some of the, the policy reasons and, and why we have some of these rules today. Yeah, I love a good story. So, <laughs> so that sounds great to me. What would you say is maybe some of the, uh, you know, the, I guess the first, the first thing that wineries should keep in mind when they're starting to market on social media? Yeah. And so I, I want to really quickly just lay a couple ground rules for the discussion um, yeah. just so that we can kind of all know uh, kind of where what the scope of the conversation is. So 
Uh, I am going to talk about rules as they apply to wineries today. So we're, we're not a lot of the same rules uh, that apply to wineries will apply to breweries and distilleries and retailers and wholesalers. But, you know, for this audience and for this discussion today, it's going to be as the rules apply to wineries. And then we're going to talk specifically about social media apps. And so contextually, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, those types of apps, uh, we can get into a little bit like YouTube or videos or something like that as well. And obviously, Instagram mm-hmm. has video features and Facebook does too. I'm not really going to talk about websites or blogs or that type of stuff because that gets into whole other policies. So really it's it's wineries and the apps that they're they're using um, and and the agencies that regulate this are the federal uh, TTB, that's the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax and Trade Bureau, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, and then California ABC. So it's going to be the rules that those agencies are either promulgating or enforcing uh, as they apply to wineries and the way that they're that they're using uh, social media, and really, so that everybody kind of understands the reason of these rules, the rules are designed all to do essentially two things. One is is to protect consumers. Typically, a rule that's specifically designed to protect consumers is going to kind of be obvious that that's what its reason is. And then the other rules are to deter to deter unfair business practices. Those are a little bit harder to to digest and stomach and understand without having a little bit of historical context. So as we talk about things like Tide House rules and some of the other rules that exist, I'll try and give a little bit of historical context for that. So hopefully that sets a little bit of the ground rules for the discussion today and will help kind of illuminate, you know, why we're talking about specific topics. I'm not going to go into tangents on, well, but if you're a brewery, that rule doesn't apply. We're just, we're going to kind of... Uh, you know, stick to wineries here. Uh, so I would say, you know, you kind of, the, the question that uh, you asked was, you know, essentially like what is sort of uh, the number one thing that maybe I would recommend to wineries or at least one of the top ones. And I would say just generally, I'm sure you assist people with this and this may be known, especially for larger operations, but I think it applies all the way down to the person who's, you know, got a thousand cases and wears all the hats in the business. They're the accounting department. They're the social media department. They're they're the everything. They're the winemaker founder. These rules are going to apply across the board. I think putting in place a social media policy, a written social media policy that Mm. will be used internally is helpful. It's not only helpful for ensuring that content that is going out, is meeting legal regulations or even just your internal like, hey, this is the image we're trying to craft for this place. Make sure that we're, you know, keeping with that image. So it's like an optics uh, issue, uh, but also because it can kind of get a little complicated and everybody should understand that these rules and regulations don't just apply to the winery's social media page. If your employees or your owners or your managers or your officers directors, whatever the case is, if they have their own social media accounts, their personal accounts, and they're out, you know, plugging the business, uh, whether it be because the company asked them to or not, there are implications for when those employees go out and plug the company they're working for or owners and officers and managers, all the ABC rules and TTB rules when they're saying like a winery can't do this, what they're really saying is a winery and its officers and managers and directors can't do this. So Mm. the rules apply to the individuals as well and their individual social media accounts. So having a policy in place that essentially says, um, 
hey, if you ever want to reference a retailer, these are the only limited circumstances you can do it in. And by the way, this applies to all of your personal accounts as well. We're not just talking about when we post or take pictures and post to our company account. It's going to apply to the media accounts of, of employees. Now, I will tell you smaller wineries that have a couple people working for them probably aren't going this extra step, but I can assure you the larger wineries uh, mm-hmm. the Kendall Jacksons of the world and, you know, more corporate focused uh, facilities, they have these policies in place and they ensure that, you know, somebody who's a brand ambassador for them or even their winemaker is following these policies and making sure that if you're the winemaker for, you know, a Kendall Jackson brand or something like that, you aren't uh, inadvertently, uh, whether intentionally or not, making posts on your personal account that, uh, maybe promoting a retailer. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get into Tidehouse. But I think having a social mm-hmm. media policy in place that lays all these things out is great for a company of any size. If you're smaller and you do just wear all the hats, at least it's a good reference guide. So if you're about to make a post and you go, oh man, I think I remember a rule about well, whatever, at least you have a reference to go back and look at and make sure that your post is going to conform to... Um, you know, these social media rules that apply. So that's probably my number one advice. It's the best way to stay compliant and you'll have a reference guide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I always recommend starting with um, an Instagram strategy or a just a social media strategy in general. And so I think that this could fit really snugly within that strategy. Yeah, I would agree. I think part of the strategy is, you know, because again, part of the policy or strategy, however, they're they're almost kind of interrelated. You know, part of that would be the optics. What is the feel? What is, how are we trying to communicate our brand to consumers? And I think within that, it is, uh, we also can't communicate these certain things. So be Mm -hmm. careful when you're doing these posts. And this should be provided, if you're outsourcing social media management to uh, an Mm -hmm. outside company, uh, you should definitely have something in writing that, or even built into the contract as like an addendum. Hey, these Mm -hmm. are the things that we need to make sure you're following. A lot of times people that are social media strategists or consultants, you know, it's going to be different for you as a winery in the way that you advertise or they or they're posting things for you than the you know apothecary that they're working for that's down the street you know in a downtown main street yeah. that, that doesn't have the same advertising rules uh, so it mm-hmm. is important that when you're outsourcing it unless it's obviously a firm that just specializes in this and this is all they do is you know alcohol beverage industry you know uh, social media so th- there's some difference there and, and yeah having a policy or something in writing is helpful so that's my that's probably my number one. Um, I think if if we want to kind of jump into just some some general guidelines that I think are really helpful that don't that aren't complicated but can trip can trip up wineries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my just at a high level in terms of like what to put in your policy too. Pr- just promote transparency uh, because that's what. That's essentially what all of these laws and rules are geared towards. And the easiest number one thing that you can do off the top with any of your pages, uh, with your about sections on Facebook or or Instagram or uh, you know name the name the social media app is, mm-hmm. and this is actually a federal rule. You can find this at twenty seven CFR, which means Code of Federal Regulations, Part Four. All of your about pages should list the name of the company, the city that you're in. And the state. 
super easy to comply with, but that's actually part of the regulation is on this. is They look at social, your app, your page on your app as an advertisement, and it needs mm-hmm. to indicate somewhere transparently where you're located. Now, that's also sort of an obvious practical thing. If you've got a winery, yeah. you want people to know where you're at. However, you should try and list, you know, name, city, and state in all of the about sections. As, um, I, I know that you know you should also uh, put that you need to be 21 to subscribe um, to uh, that particular page. So it's very mm-hmm. helpful to have that in the about section as well. We can talk about age gates and stuff in, an, in another discussion. But as far as the about section, I think that's what you need to have in there as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of number one. Just make sure it's super easy. Any page that you have, just make sure that you put that in your about section. Yeah. Um, and I have a quick question yeah. too. And I wonder, uh, so on Instagram in particular, there is, you have your username and then you have a name field. And up until now, my, my recommendation has been that the username should always be, you know, the, the name of the winery. So we'll use, we'll use Cambria winery, uh, as an example. Um, so it'd be Cambria winery in their username. Should they also have that in their name field? Or could they potentially have, say, the name field be, you know, Pinot Noir, Santa Maria Valley Pinot Noir or something in their name field? I I just think that you don't have to necessarily get hung up on like the individual fields. It's just ultimately what's communicated to the consumer on that about page. If you're being clear that... Uh, you are, and even you've got your name somewhere listed in there, like the full name. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. obviously, that's just, it, then you've kind of met this, this initial guideline of making sure that right. it's clear. Sometimes if your app is kind of confusing or not necessarily mm-hmm. your name, mm-hmm. uh, then yeah, I think you need to make sure that the, uh, that's what's listed in the about section is clear as to what your name is and where you put that. I don't know that I'm in the about section. I don't know that I necessarily care one way or the other. Just have it in there somewhere. Right. Yeah. 100%. Okay. That's great. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because the username and the name field are both searchable on Instagram. And so I always yeah. recommend having some keyword somewhere like wine or, you know, a location so people can find people easier or find brands easier. But um, I want to make sure that we're also being compliant. <laughs> so. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. So continue. Uh, yeah. So other just kind of quick, helpful tips. Um, uh, you know, one of these that I see all the time, and this goes with on your website, you know, anywhere you're California has a rule called the free goods law. Uh, and mm-hmm. the rule essentially is a prohibition on providing free goods in connection with the sale or solicitation of sale of alcoholic beverages. Um, so, uh, just really easy example for everybody to think about is, if you go to Bevmo and you want to buy, you know, a $14 Sauvignon Blanc and you see that they've got a penny deal going, well, the reason they mm-hmm. have a penny deal, which essentially says buy this $14 Sauv Blanc, get another bottle for a penny, the same bottle. Mm-hmm. The reason it's a penny is they can't do a two for one legally in the state of California. It has to be, you pay $14 for this one and you pay one cent for this other one. They can't say free mm-hmm. anywhere in the advertisement. Uh, and it goes the same with free shipping. Free shipping is the one that everybody gets the most caught up on. And so it's mm-hmm. very tempting to say, because everybody loves free. Uh, free is a buzzword. Yeah. It's attractive. And as a consumer, when you see a post or something, 
and you see free, uh, that that's going to attract your attention, but you're not allowed to provide free. So it's a lot of wordsmithing. Uh, mm-hmm. the recommendation is to say included, um, mm. you know, $30 for two bottles shipping included. So don't say free, say included. And there's, there's, you know, numerous other examples of where you get caught up in this. Um, you know, it, like two for one deals, as I just mentioned, but free shipping mm-hmm. tends to be the biggest one. Just in general, you're not supposed to be giving away anything for free in connection with the sale or solicitation of sale of alcoholic beverages. Um, it, like I said, other ways that this comes up, but that's just a helpful hint. I always try and recommend to my clients, even when I see it, sometimes I'll DM somebody saying, Hey, just real quick, just an FYI, you know, just wanted mm-hmm. to be a wet blanket blanket in your day to day. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a big one uh, that I think is really easy. Uh, another one that's really easy is, you know, even if you have a winery where families can come to, and obviously wineries are allowed to have people under 21, 10, mm-hmm. you can't really promote that. You don't want to promote that, you know, uh, people under 21, especially on your page where it's all kind of alcohol consumption and stuff like that. You just don't want to have pictures of kids, you know, or it, really anybody that's under 21, I think it's tempting to want to say like family atmosphere and you got like a family at a picnic and they're in the grass and there's kids running around or something like that. I'm always telling mm-hmm. people to shy away from that. You know, at the end of the day, you are a winery, you are selling alcohol. Uh, you, you don't really want to be promoting, you know, minors really in any kind of context. Uh, that's a general one that I, I often tell people to, to try and stay with. And I know for a fact, the larger, uh, wineries are, are very, very, very careful about this and not alluding to anything except for consumption of alcohol by adults. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty easy one, uh, as well. Um, now if we're getting into a little bit more of the, the kind of detailed laws, I've got a couple here that I think are just, uh, good points to make. Um, I think one that's really, as a general rule, something that's really easy for wineries to understand because every winery is submitting labels to TTB to get approved. Mm-hmm. They have to get their certificate of label approval for every bottle of wine that they're going to put out on the shelf. And many wineries have experienced the rejection of you put something in the fanciful language on the back about you know, how this would be great. Uh, you know, it, it goes, it pairs well with, uh, you know, running and other healthy exercise. You can't do any of that type of stuff. So there's all these rules and restrictions for labels. So wineries are usually very familiar with the rules and restrictions that are related to labeling. Well, though, those rules almost are exact corollaries with the advertising rules that both ABC and TTB have. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, for labeling, you can't say anything that's false or untrue or misleading on a label. Likewise, you can't do that in any type of advertising. So if you're putting mm-hmm. a post on Instagram, you can make sort of hyperbolic statements. But if it's clearly false or misleading or untrue or it's designed to mislead consumers, you're not going to be able to put that in any type of advertisement. And by the way, when we're talking, I'm talking about posts right now. But if, mm-hmm. if you're doing an Instagram video or a little clip or something like that, that's also, you know, th- th- that's advertising at the end of the day. It's being promoted through your your uh, Instagram page or your Facebook page. So you, you got to be really careful there. Again, if you're saying something that's meant to be kind of funny, you can get away with that. An example would mm-hmm. be, you know, somebody who's got a very large prolific uh, following and recently just sold their wine brand. Um, <laughs> I hate saying the name because it sounds 
it doesn't sound great, but the fat Jewish, uh, who people are familiar with, he had a wine brand called, um, uh, white girl rose is what it was called. Right? <laughs> it got sold off and babe was the heading of the, <coughs> excuse me, of the, of the ultimate brand. And when he first came out, you know, you'd flip over his label and it would say, this was made with cage free grapes and no hormones and they weren't harmed in the, you know, all this like sort of <laughs> Stuff that was intended to be funny, but you, you know, somebody could say, "Well, that's not true." Yeah, but yeah. it's 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 obviously not true. As opposed to like you're actually trying to mislead people or make a false statement or something like that. Mm. Like if you if you said this person made the wine, they never made it. That's a little bit bigger issue because you're misleading consumers. That person wasn't ever involved in the production or whatever the case is. So you can't put anything false or untrue or misleading. Same thing with your posts. I think that's a big one. Uh, you can't be disparaging to a competitor. Uh, this mm-hmm. is pretty uncommon, but if you like had a bottle of wine and you didn't like it and you thought it was plonk and you're a winemaker, you go and post mm-hmm. that on your site. You technically can't do that. Um, right. I, I love there's a uh, people may not remember this label. There's this guy named Chip Forsyth who has uh, reckless love. Uh, it was like that mustache wine um, uh-huh. that got sold off. He's now making these CBD infused wines that are non-alcoholic. And he's a character. The guy was like a year or two behind me at Cal Poly. Um, he originally had a brand and a company that made a wine called Sexual Chocolate. And <laughs> if you flipped over the wine on the back, uh, it was this handwritten label. It was kind of crazy. And it said all kinds of stuff. And in there, it said, we don't like the French or the French are annoying or something like that. If they uh-huh. had said French wines or something like that, it probably wouldn't have gotten past TTB. Apparently, you Ooh. could just disparage like a whole uh, group of people. But you actually can't disparage their, their wine product, I guess. <laughs> Um, so I, I use that as an example when I teach my class at Cal Poly, I always think that that's a little yeah. funny. So can't say anything <laughs> false or misleading, can't disparage a competitor. You also cannot, this is a really hard one for people to do when they're in live discussions, uh, but mm-hmm. you can't have any statement or design in an advertisement that communicates that the, uh, that the product is intoxicating. So what do I mean by that? If you say this, you know, let's say you've got a 16% alcohol wine or it's a fortified product or something like that. And you said this wine packs a punch. You can't do that because that's implying that the alcohol content is going to have a particular effect on you. Um, Even if you said like what you think the effect of the alcohol would be on on somebody, that's also not okay. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Another example, Adam Carolla has a product called Mangria, which is man and sangria Mm -hmm. combined. And it's like a 20% (laughs) fortified product. And they actually had a, uh, I think it was like, you know, one of those like 50s pinup type like cartoony images and the, it was a woman saying, you know, this, it, it, and this is on the label. It said mm-hmm. this, this uh, Mangria packs a punch. Well, you can't do that. Or you can't even say mm-hmm. she packs a punch because it was mm-hmm. supposed to be sort of this intimidating character or something like that. Cause all of that is yeah. communicating something about the intoxicating quality of the product. I've seen, you know, even like this will leave you feeling bubbly or something like mm-hmm. that or sparkling. Can't do that because it's implying like the effect that the product is going to have on you. So that's going to also apply in a post. If you try and put something like that in an Instagram post, or if you're having a conversation in an IG video and you're like, oh yeah, this is, a, this is our 16% alcohol cab. It's a big boy. It'll lay out if you have a couple of these. You're not really supposed to do that. So you just mm-hmm. got to be conscious of, of kind of making those communications. You can't do anything that's obscene, which essentially means 
um, this is really interesting how ABC's taken this. Like you've got Chronic Cellars, which has a wine called Sofa King mm-hmm. Bueno, right? It's <laughs> written out like that. But of course, if yeah. you read it, it comes out as so fucking bueno, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and there's there are other examples where people have gotten about as far as they can get with the agencies on this stuff. Um, and also nudity and stuff, you know, think that when they talk about obscene, they're talking about things that would potentially be deemed obscene by a consumer. So you can't put somebody, you can't put a nude person on a label of wine. You also can't do that in any type of, of advertising or, or posting. And then the last one, it's kind of a big one. Uh, and I'll give you a pretty good example that is, I think, um, uh, goes with kind of what's going on today with the pandemic is mm-hmm. TTB and an ABC, TTB especially say you can't make a misleading health statement. The practical reality mm-hmm. is you can't make any health statement. There has never been yeah. a health statement that they've ever been okay with that they think that you've caveated enough uh, for them to feel comfortable with. So you can't make any health statement as the rule. And you should apply that too when you're talking about your product in any kind of uh, social media post. And the best example I can kind of give you is uh, right now there's a lot of conversation about quercetin and quercetin's mm-hmm. effects on COVID and people are taking quercetin supplements. Uh, mm-hmm. So quercetin and resveratrol are two compounds that are commonly found in red wine. And for years, there have been all kinds of studies that talk about how resveratrol and quercetin have these, you know, if, if consumed, you know, through moderate wine consumption, you know, have these positive health effects, uh, lowering cancer rates and heart disease. And now apparently quercetin supplements, you know, have an effect on COVID or can, you know, help uh, diminish symptoms or, or, you know, strengthen your immune system so you don't get it or whatever the case is, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's tempting for somebody to want to make a comment about that because it's found in red wine. You can't do right. it. You can't do it in any of your posts. You couldn't do it on a label. Um, I, you see products that I still can't believe how far they've gotten with it. You have a bit like there's fit fine F I T V I N E. It's got a picture of somebody running on the label. If you go to their, they don't put anywhere on the label, anything that really is pushing the boundaries is, uh, other than the name of the product. You go to their website mm-hmm. though. It's all over some of the clean wine websites really kind of are yeah. pushing the boundaries. They've got skinny girl margaritas and skinny girl wine and skinny girl, all this stuff. I'm always shocked that like that's mm-hmm. allowed to kind of go through because it's implicit. You, and, so the al- alcohol companies have worked very hard to try and figure out ways that they can sort of elude but not actually get to the point of making a statement about health. Yeah. Uh, even if you look at especially the the uh, if you look at a uh, distilled spirits companies, uh, they know that compared to beer or wine, there are lower carbohydrates and calories and spirits. And so it's you see ads that say like Bacardi and diet, a classic combination, and they're not going to advertise Coke or Pepsi. So they just put Bacardi and diet. Well, anytime you see diet, there's sort of an illusion that gets, you know, put there and they can put zero cal. They're allowed to put zero calories or excuse me, zero carbohydrates on there. Um, so people are always trying to allude to it. You can't, but my point here being is you can't make a, a sort of matter of fact health statement. There was a point even where TTB wouldn't let you put a salute on a label, which Mm -hmm. means to your health. So, uh, be very careful about that. Of course, you should all remember that, uh, when you put things into these forms of social media, yes, you can go back and delete a post, but it's there permanently. And it's really easy for a regulator to find it. It's like, there it is. Yeah. And it's in time, you know, like we, we can find it and they can, you know, screenshot it or whatever. So those are 
those are the labeling laws and they're all corollaries with uh, advertising and promotion of products. So f- to me, a lot of wineries already know the labeling rules. They know they can't do these things. It's really easy to then just go, okay, well, that's easy to apply that to social media and the way that I promote uh, uh, and advertise my products on social media. So um, that's another one. It, it does kind of dial into an actual, again, that's 27 CFR part four is where these advertising mm-hmm. rules are uh, at the federal level. Um Another real quick one here uh, that I I think is helpful is, um, and, and this will kind of transition us into a, a Tide House conversation, is when you go into McDonald's, what is the only soda that you can get there, Heather? Only branded uh, I soda. Think, oh, I think uh, Coca-Cola. Right. And you will never see Pepsi in there. Why? Because... Coca-Cola has a contract with McDonald's. Coca-Cola is a producer and wholesaler Mm -hmm. of soda. And McDonald's is a retailer of food and beverages, including soda. And so Coca-Cola wants to make sure that people, you know, that go to McDonald's are only drinking Coca-Cola. So they go in there or Coca-Cola branded products. They go in there, get a contract with McDonald's, and that's the only product you ever see. Pepsi Mm -hmm. actually, I don't know how many people know this, but Pepsi actually owns KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. Um, (laughs) That's it's one of the Yum brands, which Yum is owned by Pepsi. You know, Pepsi owns Frito-Lay and like, you know, a million other things as well. Uh, But so the only thing that you'll ever see in those in those places is also Pepsi. And it's pretty common for larger established franchises that they have exclusive deals with these two companies. And of course, RC Cola barely exists at all anymore and some of the other uh, companies. And that's because of Mm -hmm. the relationship that these producers have forged and established with uh, retail enterprises and essentially trying to knock out all competition. And so uh, that same sort of practice existed in the alcohol beverage industry, especially in England. Uh, so if you go into a pub today, there are free houses and tied house. A free house is not connected to a brewery. A tied house is tied to a brewery in some way, either through financial incentives or ownership. And we had that same model over here in the U.S. Uh, in the 1800s. Uh, but you have to imagine back in the 1800s, there's really only... Uh, like Anheuser-Busch and Miller and these huge conglomerate breweries. And then there's only small retailers. We don't have Costco. We don't have Whole Foods. We don't have these massive places. It's saloons and mom and pop restaurants and uh, little stores. And so Mm -hmm. when you're this giant brewery interest that owns wholesale entities as well, and you go to these little mom and pop places, let's say they go into a town, there's only five places that you can buy alcohol. Three of them are tied to Bush. And then the other two aren't. Well, what they're going to do is they're going to go to the other two and say, we want you to sell our product. And if they say, no, we want to be able to have a freedom of choice, they go, okay, have it your way. We're going to go to the three places that we're tied to. We're going to have them drive down all the prices and incentivize them to drive down the prices. And it's going to mm-hmm. drive you other two uh, businesses out of town. And there were all kinds of social and moral implications to that. You know, you lower the price, people consume more. And so it was thought that these big uh, production supplier interests were controlling the small mom and pop retailers. So when we get out of prohibition, all the states and the federal government put in these rules called Tide House rules that essentially are designed to prevent producers such as wineries and their wholesalers from influencing uh, retailers. They're trying to keep the independence of choice of retailers. 
and they're not supposed to have ownership interests in retailers and they're not supposed to provide things of value to retailers to influence them. They're not supposed to promote retailers, which we'll talk about here in a second, and sort of mm-hmm. advertise for retailers. And so there's all this historical context behind these Tidehouse rules, these trade practice rules that we have today. And this is probably one of the the big ones is how do you sort of, you know, navigate uh, Tidehouse rules. And I know you've previously mentioned the guides that are involved in Instagram. And maybe mm-hmm. you want to explain that a little bit to people and then we can maybe talk in more in depth about you know, uh, tied house rules and how it applies across all social media, but specifically how it may be able to apply with these new, this new feature that Instagram has. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, Instagram has recently come out with a new feature called guides, which lives on your feed, uh, in the same, I mean, in, in its own place, uh, on your profile, I should say. And so, you know, when you look at your profile, you'll have, your main feed, which is where all your main posts live. Uh, If you're making reels, then you'll have a section where your reels live. If you're making IGTV videos, then you'll have a place where your IGTV videos live. And then, and now we have a place where these guides live. And the guides were originally rolled out to health and wellness uh, uh, facilities or accounts as a way for, to give more information about uh, COVID-19 and mental health uh, resources. And they've now been rolled out to all business accounts, actually all accounts um, on Instagram. And I've been seeing a lot of uh, potential for using them as a brochure to maybe use them as a way to, you know, give information about wine clubs and, uh, you know, what your tasting room rules are and things like that. But I have been, and this is the question that um, I asked Brian kind of before we were talking was, how can we, is there a way that we can use these guides to talk about the different retailers or restaurants that, you know, a winery's wine could be found in? Uh, Is there, is that legal? Is there a way that we can do that? Or is that something that we basically shouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole? Right, right. So I guess the best way to frame it is I just kind of gave the background on the the fact that at the federal and the state level, every state has their own set of these rules, but we're we're just going to talk about California and the federal government. There are these rules that have these very historical roots that are designed to prevent suppliers from essentially incentivizing or influencing retailers. And a subset of of those rules are preventing suppliers, wineries, from promoting retailers. Now, a hallmark of Tidehouse rules is there's a very stark, usually the way it's written in the code is there's a very stark rule that says you cannot provide a thing of value to a retailer or you cannot promote or advertise a retailer. And then the Tidehouse exceptions, there are like, you know, there's like 90 or 100 of them that have been <laughs> built into the code over the years. And, and we, as social media has obviously become more and more prevalent over the last two decades, um, especially in the last decade, there have been a lot of additional rules that have been carved out so that people can 
they're narrow, but the, so that, uh, you know, wineries have the ability to at least list retailers, or if they're going to have a winemaker dinner, which is a, a permitted exception um, for uh, suppliers and retailers interacting with, they're going to have a winemaker dinner at a restaurant that they can at least tell people about it uh, without making mm-hmm. sort of laudatory comments to the retailers. So I'm going to break down a couple of these rules that'll be helpful for anybody that's uh, uh, that's operating a winery and, and is, you know, would love to be able to promote a retailer. It's very difficult. There are very limited circumstances that you can actually do it because of these uh, tide house regulations. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite regulations, just, just a fun story that doesn't really have anything to do with wineries. Uh, but it just <laughs> goes to show you like how weird some of these, uh, exceptions get. And a lot of them are either built for very small craft, like boutique winery operations, or they're being built as like, paid our congressmen really well to uh, create this uh, statutory exception for them, like very large enterprises, you know, uh, getting (laughs) exceptions put in place. And this is an example of a very large one. So you've got Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, which owns obviously beer manufacturers and beer wholesalers. And Mm -hmm. then you've got them looking at trying to figure out how they can expand the reach of their product, but they're of course getting hit by all these tide house rules, but they want to expand into all kinds of different things. So they wanted to buy a particular uh, piece of property that has a business on it uh, located in Southern California. And they wanted to be able to make sure that only their product was being sold at this business. Mm -hmm. And so they went and got an exception built and I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase the exception. The exception says (laughs) that, a beer manufacturer and beer wholesaler can own because typically you cannot be a supplier and own an interest in a retail enterprise. So they had to get around that rule. And the way they did is the exception says a beer manufacturer and uh, that also owns beer wholesalers can hold an interest in a, a business that is located on 150 acres in San Diego County. Um, operating retail enterprises, uh, on-premise retail enterprises. And the primary purpose of the business is marine wildlife education. (laughs) Can can you imagine who we're talking about here? We're talking about SeaWorld, right? Because (laughs) Anheuser-Busch came in and was buying uh, theme parks and they were buying um, and they, they came in and bought, uh, a SeaWorld, but they were not going to be able to do it, uh, because you're not allowed to own an interest in on sale retail enterprises. So they had to go get a specific mm-hmm. exception carved out. Um, now that's, that's kind of a, a fanciful example, but, uh, there are other exceptions that are largely built for wineries. So wineries enjoy mm-hmm. the most exceptions. Wineries can own interest in restaurant or people that have an interest in a winery can own an interest in a restaurant. They can own an interest mm-hmm. in a liquor store if they want to. So there's a lot of exceptions. And so there's a handful of exceptions that are built here that, uh, we're going to talk about specifically in the way that wineries can talk about retailers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that everybody listening, you know, has this, the code sections in case they want to go and look them up. Uh, at the federal level, uh, this the the prohibition rule is at 27 CFR Part 6. At the mm-hmm. California level, it's Business and Profession Code 25500 and 25502. So those are where the prohibitions are built in. The first exception we're going to talk about is listing retailers, which you can list in the guides or we'll, I'll, I'll give you other examples of where you can list in posts. Um, the federal... Uh, uh, level, it's 27 CFR 6.98. And then at the California level, it's 
25500.1 in the Business and Professions Code. Mm-hmm. So you specifically said, hey, maybe we could use these guides to identify retailers that sell our product. So my short answer is yes, I think you can do that. Uh, but you have to be very careful in the way you do it. Both of the, the federal and the state rule essentially says as follows. You can list, and when I say list, I'm emphasizing list because it means like a bullet point list, right? Mm. This is about all you can do. You can list uh, two or more unaffiliated retailers. So a minimum of two retailers. The reason they do that is they don't want you singularly, like here's our list of retailers and it's one. So you're just clearly promoting that one retailer, right? They want you to list two or more. They have to be unaffiliated. So as an example, you couldn't list Sam's Club and Walmart as the only two because those are affiliated companies, right? Mm -hmm. So two or more unaffiliated retailers have to be listed. You cannot identify the price that they're selling it at. There's one exception mm-hmm. if it's like a state-controlled um, retailer, but we don't have that in California, so it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, so you cannot identify the price that they're selling your product at. And that listing, putting like, you know, and you can put, by the way, you can put name, address, telephone number, email address, internet site, you know, that that's about the extent of what can be put in that list of the retailer. Mm-hmm. That listing can be the only reference to the retailer. You can't okay. say... Hey, go find Seamus Sellers at Tom's Takeout. Tom's our favorite. Um, you can say our wines are found at Tom's Takeout, located at, you know, this is the address. <laughs> here's the phone number. Here's the website. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if people want to put something in the guide. That's how they're going to have to do it. Find our wines at, you can even list like the wine, like the type of wine, mm-hmm. but most people are probably going to say you can find our wines locally in Santa Barbara County here or in San Luis Obispo County here, or LA County mm-hmm. here, or whatever the case is. Now, yeah. where this becomes problematic is it, you can imagine an Instagram post or a Facebook post, or you can even imagine in the guides where there are pictures, right? So there are pictures that are associated with the post or the guide. If you go and take a picture of that retailer's premises and use that mm-hmm. as the picture that's in the post or the guide, that means you're making a reference to that retailer that's outside of that list. Mm. So you can't do that. You can't okay. put you holding your your product standing inside at the bar of the restaurant, right? And post that on right. there. You can put a picture of your product there. That's fine. If you want to take a bottle shot or a lineup or something like that, or somebody's, you know, winemakers walking through a vineyard, whatever the case is, that picture is not problematic. It's when you make an additional reference to the retailer or some sort of laudatory reference where you're saying this is our favorite spot or these guys are the best and they're they're super close or something like that. You can't do mm-hmm. that. It has to be this really static black and white to you know, post to fit inside of the, um, in t- inside of this example. Now I've had some people try to do some really inventive stuff with trying to get around this rule, uh, such as, you know, putting, putting a picture up that d- not necessarily advertising the, the retailer in any context, but mm-hmm. then in the post they're saying, you know, you can find SEMA sellers at Tom's takeout located at da, 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 da. But they don't really want to promote the other retailer, They, they but they know they have to put a second retailer in. So what they do is they do hard returns in the Instagram post to move the next bit of wording like way down. So it says like, you can also find our wines at da-da-da-da-da. And yeah. that means that means for, you know, when you're scrolling through Instagram, you'd have to hit that little ellipses to open up 
the rest of it so that you can yeah. actually see the second retailer. So it's a way that some people try to get around. We're really trying to promote this one retailer because we want to support them. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. recommend doing that. I don't know anybody who's got busted for it. But, you know, people are always trying to be inventive with these rules. But yeah. that is, that's the essential rule that, you, you know, if you're trying to help your customers out or you've got wineries that are listening to this and they're trying to figure out how do we, you know, identify the retailers, that's the way you can do it. You can put it on your website as well, but it has to be a list. And, and, and the retailer can't pay you for it, by the way. You, it has to be pre- prepared and put by you on your site. They can't have paid right. you or promoted. So, yeah. Right. Um, okay, so then my follow-up question to this, and I think probably the follow-up question that a lot of uh, wineries are having right now, is in ca- in the case of, say, reposting, say a, um, a retailer tagged, you know, SEMA yeah. sellers in, in a post, can we as a winery, can we repost that post that we've been tagged in into our stories? So I think this is a, this is a really good dovetail into the next exception that I want to talk about. There were two exceptions I want to talk about. One is listing retailers and the Mm -hmm. other is a way to list a retailer. It's again, even more narrow than this. And, And I had in my kind of notes here talking about reposting and also what happens if a consumer puts a post like in a comment or they post something and then you want to repost what they say. So we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that very briefly. So the, the short answer is there is an all-out prohibition on promoting retailers, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's an exception that's... But there's an exception to that rule that allows you to list them in this very static way, right? Mm-hmm. There are a couple other exceptions for events, mm-hmm. okay? So if you as a winery are going to host an event or are going to participate in an event at a uh, retailer, so one that's uh, that is permitted with uh within the code so this would be like a winemaker dinner wineries are allowed to have winemaker dinners at um uh, winemakers are allowed to have winemaker dinners and there are exceptions in the abc act for doing that mm-hmm. um so those exceptions are at uh business and profession code 24430.4 and then 25530.4 Point five six and and point five seven, and those identified various events that wineries are allowed to uh, hold. The most mm-hmm. common one is going to be a winemaker dinner, which is why I'm talking about it. So the exception is that a winery can do all the same things that they could do in a listing post, where they put name, address, telephone number, email address. They can identify uh, social media. They can identify the wines that are going to be featured, and they can still pictures and photographs or illustrations of the retailer's premises, their personnel, their customers. This is only, again, if there's going to be an event, right? right? You can put the time and date, location of the event, and you can repost the retailer's post. So long as the retailer's post fits within those four things I just told you, which is they've got sort of their name, address, it's a still picture, has the wines that are featured, and it's kind of date, time, and location. Mm -hmm. You cannot, as a winery, again, make a laudatory uh, comment or reference to the retailer, meaning you can't be like, this is the best place in the world. You got to go try their hamburger, have their fries. We love this, you know, all this. You can't really do that. You can't put the retail price of your wines. And for some reason, they won't allow videos. It's not built into Mm, the rule. So you can do the still pictures, but no videos, no retail price, no laudatory references. This is one of the very limited set of circumstances 
where, well, these, the three uh, uh, citations I just gave you to the business and profession code are the three limited uh, uh, instances where if there's an event and you as a winery are allowed to promote that event, you can also repost the retailer post if it's compliant. Mm -hmm. That is it though. So there is not another instance where you can repost the retailer. And here's why this is the easiest way for your customers to, and for the people that are listening to think about this, everything that you put on your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed or anywhere within the context of those social media apps is considered to be promotion or advertising by you. It doesn't matter that somebody else created it. If you are reposting it, you have to think about that repost as if I created this and I'm posting it to the world. Mm. Um, Now, of course, you want to go get permission from the consumer or or customer or person that you're reposting to do it. There's copyright Mm -hmm. and other issues that are associated with that. But when it comes to reposting a retailer, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, You're just not going to be able to do it except for this very limited circumstance that I just gave you Mm -hmm. where it is a retailer uh, event, a winemaker event or something like that, that you're allowed to participate in and promote. Right. And it's very, very hard, very hard for people to do because, of course, in any other business, I don't care almost what it is. It would be very natural to say, hey, you can go find our stuff here. And we love these people. They have great yeah. customer care and the food's amazing. And uh, But, you know, again, hearkening back to all those prohibition era rules, there's this fear that, um, you know, the, the, big, the larger, more powerful companies are ultimately going to be able to outspend any small enterprise. And by outspending them, essentially limit competition and also reduce the retailer's independence of choice. So in some Mm -hmm. sense, these are super pain in the butt rules, uh, but they are also designed to ensure that there is a lot of product out there in the marketplace for consumers to choose. Otherwise, it would be a Coke and Pepsi model. We wouldn't really see that much stuff out there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you want to talk very briefly about third-party content real quick? Yeah, let's... Okay. So, so let's imagine a consumer, you know, you post a, 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 a picture of your wine and then a consumer comments on it and ultimately mm-hmm. says something to the effect of, we all know that uh, wine drinkers live longer than anybody else because of quercetin or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Right. So you see that and you go, well, I know that I can't advertise the health effects of wine. You know, is this problematic? There is actually mm-hmm. a safe harbor in place uh, that essentially... If you haven't paid that person uh, to put that comment there and it's not otherwise promoted by you in the context of, you know, you're not telling them or asking them to do that on your behalf or something like that, Mm -hmm. then there's a safe harbor in place. So people can go and make all kinds of crazy comments, you know, to to your posts and you're not going to be liable for it. If you repost it, if you comment and promote the thought, something like Mm -hmm. that, now you're starting to move into you know, sort of you know, impermissible promotion or, or, or advertising. If you want to repost something that a consumer has uh, posted, again, it's going to be the same thing we just talked about. You have to imagine that that is, is in fact, uh, your post and you have to treat it as if it's your advertisement or post. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that's kind of the best way to think about, you know, third-party content. And as I mentioned before, these rules are going to apply if if I 
if I own the winery and I have my own separate Instagram page and my winery has a page and then I'm going out and saying, boy, I really love Tom's takeout. They do such a great job of promoting our product, you know, whatever the case may be, that's mm-hmm. going to apply equally as if it was on the brand, like on the brand's webpage, the same rule and prohibitions are going to apply. And when you have employees that are out promoting your product as well, all of the FTC, ABC, and, and um, TTB guidelines are going to apply, and you got to be very careful. You almost have to treat them as if they're influencers yeah. uh, or, or endorsers of your product. And so those endorsement rules apply, which we can, you know, we can jump into that topic as well. So Tidehouse laws are important to keep in mind. Any type of post mm-hmm. that's mentioning or promoting a retailer is probably not going to be allowed yeah. unless it's a list or you are you have an event that is a permitted event that you're allowed to promote and then you can mm. repost. Right on. That's about it. Right on. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's oh my gosh, so much to take in and it's uh, it all makes it makes a lot of sense. Um you're explaining it really well. <laughs> was, yeah, hopefully this is a little bit higher level and not not <laughs> super you know, detailed legalese. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I haven't had to ask you to explain anything to me like I'm five yet. So I feel very good about that. Good. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, I mean, you made, you made a comment about this. Um, and I would like to dive just a little bit deeper into it. Um, influencer marketing, you know, we, I've, I know that this is a really great way for wineries to reach larger audience. So what are some things wineries should look out for with regards to influencer marketing? Uh, yeah. So really, this is one of the the instances where it's ABC and TTB don't have specific rules that are geared towards influencer marketing. You're not going to see anything in there about, you know, influencers or, or endorsers or something like that. All of the advertising rules that they have apply across any type of advertisement. And if you're essentially paying somebody to advertise for you, the, the ABC and TTB are just going to look at that that advertisement as an extension of your company's advertising because you know it's it would be as if you were making that post as well. So you're gonna you're gonna have all the same rules are gonna apply. However, the FTC does have rules that are related to this type of in, you know endorsed advertising. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the FTC has kind of come out and made statements. They've sent uh, warning letters to companies that really aren't following this. Um, so you want to be be really careful. So essentially what the FTC requires is that any endorsed advertisement, this could be whether the brand owner uh, winery is promoting a particular influencer on their page, you know, like mm-hmm. there's all kinds of people that do this in the wine space, but you know, if they're promoting a particular advertiser on their page or a uh, uh, influencer on their page, or if the influencer is making this post on the influencers page, it mm-hmm. needs to be clear that that endorsement is, um, that there is a connection between the endorser and the brand owner, the influencer and the mm-hmm. brand owner. Now you see this for the most part, like whatever the advertisement is, it, you know, any of anybody that's listening that follows like some sort of influencer or something where they're, they're advertising, you usually see it in the form of like hashtag paid promotion or hashtag whatever. Right. Or, mm-hmm. and sometimes people are just more blatant about it, like paid partnership with Seamus winery. Right. If it's like right. Tom's takeout or not, that's a bad example. It's a retailer, but like, let's say it's, you know, uh, Heather, you, you put a post out there and you're promoting my wine, 
but I've paid you for it. There's a contract in place. That means this needs to be disclosed. It needs to be mm-hmm. disclosed to the consumer that this is a paid advertisement. I'm not just doing this on my, you're not just doing this on your own accord. I actually asked you to do this for me or, or asked you to promote or paid you to promote this. So my mm-hmm. recommendation is the absolute rock bottom bare minimum is something to the effect of like hashtag ad but you need to list who the pay the paying party is right next to it. Mm. So you would say hashtag ad Seamus Winery or something like that. I would mm-hmm. probably prefer as the conservative attorney I am to say paid partnership with Seamus Winery so that it's very clear. If you yeah. just put hashtag partner, that doesn't really communicate anything. It really yeah. needs to indicate that it's like a paid advertisement and you need to communicate who the paying party is. So right. – um, if that's not and and so when you are working with an influencer and you're going to pay somebody to to post something there need to be guidelines that you give them it either needs to be in their contract that they're going to all posts are going to get approved by you to make sure that mm-hmm. you can tell them you have to have this stuff in there or you need to give them guidelines for their posts yeah. um and by the way all the stuff that i'm saying here uh you know don't be afraid to just go look at what the bigger wineries are doing they have entire yeah legal departments and advertising departments and compliance teams internally that are managing this stuff. And so copying kind of their techniques is, is, you know, you don't need to go reinvent the wheel or necessarily pay somebody to do it. You can see what they're doing. And if you go and look at the larger uh, companies, this is what they're doing to ensure that um, that this is disclosed and they're meeting FTC guidelines. I think uh, for everybody that's listening that is aware of what the fire festival is, uh, one of the things that came out of that was that a lot of the paid advertisements were not disclosed as paid advertisements. And because, you know, there were a lot of class action and plaintiff's attorneys out there looking for people with pockets to sue, they did mm-hmm. go after some of the influencers, uh, for fraud, uh, because right. everybody was looking for money after that thing. And, um, uh, you don't want to get caught up in that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what, what about if a, an influencer, like there's no cash changing hands, but the influencer is maybe getting a free tasting or they are getting, um, some kind of benefit, maybe a bottle of wine to review. Uh, is that, would that still be considered a payment? Well, I think it's still, there's, well, this is a legal term, but there's still consideration being exchanged. You know, it's kind of quid pro quo. There's, I'm scratching your back, you're scratching mine. It is an agreement right. among the winery and the influencer that this post is going to go up in exchange for something. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's not in writing and maybe this person has, you know, sent you a DM saying, I would really love to come to your winery. You know, I'm not expecting any payment, but, you know, if you could provide these things in exchange for me promoting your product, well, you're essentially mm-hmm. agreeing to advertising there, you know, and there, yeah. there is a, maybe not, there's not cash going. So I would, I would, you know, be conservative and say, yeah, you should, yeah. you should still indicate that it's advertising. Now, if this person show, and I know this is what happens. I've seen some of these influencer, these like, you know, wine influencer pages and, you know, they go mm-hmm. and travel somewhere. Maybe they say their industry, maybe they tell somebody there like, Hey, you know, if you guys can provide me tastings, I'll do this post. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any problem with, you know, agreeing to that. I mm-hmm. would say, yeah, Hey, look, we have an internal, uh, policy here. And if you could just indicate that it's an ad, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. And if they push back and say, well, you didn't pay me, I don't want to indicate that it's an ad or something like that. Just say, Hey, look, this is 
how it works. We just need you to put a hashtag ad in our yeah. name at the bottom of the post. That shouldn't be that difficult, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's smart. Protects you. I mean, it's now look, is FTC going and like kicking doors in? Not to my knowledge. You know, they're <laughs> they're sending warning letters. But if you're trying to be compliant, you want to try to stay compliant. I mean, just yeah. try and do it so you don't ever or you're not looking over your shoulder. Yeah, for sure. That's really smart. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add to that? That's no, great. I think that's really the rule. I mean, you just, it, there needs, <laughs> the consumer just needs, there needs to be disclosure to the consumer so that the consumer understands that. Um, yeah, and by the way, look, your general social media guidelines should apply to anything that an endorser or influencer is putting out there. If there's an mm-hmm. image that you're trying to maintain, you can tell them like, hey, make sure you're not consuming this with your daughter, your 12-year-old daughter with you in the picture. Or, you know, these are our general guidelines for, you know, how we want communicated or get get editorial control over what they're going to put out, right? Yeah. If they're going to go and post something and you're paying them for it, you may as well say we get to approve the final product. You know, the final post. 100%. I love that. Uh, Can we talk briefly about, I I forget the the actual term for it, but um, the must be 21 plus to follow. Can we talk about those age blocks? Yeah. So I I think that, yes, you should have something in your about section that says must be Mm -hmm. 21 to follow. I think that's just good practical policy. I do think that this is going to become an ever increasing issue, especially now that we've gone into the pandemic and and we're kind of coming out of it and DTC sales are going gangbusters and there's a lot more delivery and it's less face-to-face sales of product uh, happening where mm-hmm. you're actually looking at somebody, looking at an ID and saying, you're old enough to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, I know there's not necessarily sales going on through the, but you're, you're sort of pushing people to the sales channel or the yeah. sales platform. And so, yes, having must be 21 is ideal. Having an age gate, um, mm-hmm. I think that that's a conservative extra step. I don't know that it's necessarily mandatory, but mm-hmm. I do think that regulators are looking at this issue. And I would not be surprised if we see various states requiring it. And then, you know, if you start to see various states requiring it, well, then you almost kind of need to do it because your platform is going to be available to people wherever. And if you're trying to sell to somebody in Colorado and Colorado saying you need to have an age gate that requires opting in or something, then you're sort of going to get pushed to that point. Um, yeah. And, you know, who at the end of the day, you're not advertising to 18 year olds that are looking at your page. So how many I do understand what the concern is, is if somebody doesn't have an age in their bio, mm-hmm. uh, it could potentially allow them to not join. It'd yeah. be great if there was just a warning saying there's no age in your bio, go fix it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or not your bio, but your I guess it's not your bio. It's your um, your setup for the. Account. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's going to have to kind of figure out what they want to do there. As we start to see policies of, you know, there's these chat bots now. People can order wine through chat bots by texting. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's all kinds of different ways people are doing this. And I, you should have a policy in place that's trying to ensure that everybody that's accessing your, your, your brand is 21. I mean, you really should. So whether you apply the age gate or not is, is your decision. I don't know what percentage of people would get turned away though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was just the concern that I and one of my marketing friends was having was that we had noticed she didn't have uh, her age listed in her profile, uh, you know, when she was setting up her profile. And there were several wineries that had these age gates 
in place, which is great. But she, she was like, I can't, I can't see them. I, I haven't, I have no idea, you know, like I sent her a profile and she was like, I can't see this at all. So, you know, what's the deal? Did they block me? Is, you know, is what she thought. And, uh, and then we finally figured out that, oh, she just needed to enter her age. And so I think that there's a potential for folks who maybe don't want to share that information on Instagram, even though it's not public information, it's still, you know, Facebook still has control over, you know, some, what's the details of somebody's profile. And I think that in this age of people wanting to have more, um, you know, privacy, uh, there's a potential that we're missing out. Anyone who has those age gates in place may be missing out on reaching certain consumers who just haven't put their age in their profile. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, that was my, my big question was, is it required as of right now or would just putting, you know, the verbiage must be 21 plus to follow? I'm not, uh, a, I'm not aware of, of the requirement, but I, I think people should expect that this is going to evolve and it's probably going to become more conservative yeah. over time. So you might have to prepare yourself for it, but for the moment being having must be 21 plus to follow, um, I think is your bare minimum. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well that's, uh, yeah. I mean, to that point though, um, I would like to talk a little bit about, TikTok because they don't have those age blocks in play or age uh, gates in place like Instagram and Facebook do. Uh, and, and that platform does skew younger. Uh, should wineries be avoid avoiding using TikTok entirely or could they just, you know, again, just list that the user must be 21 plus to follow in their bio? So I think there's a legal question and a practical question. I think the legal piece of it is TikTok doesn't have uh, their usage guidelines don't prohibit alcohol advertisers from using that page. And as mm-hmm. as you've seen, what typically happens, this happened with Facebook, right? I was in the general, I, I was 20, I was 19 years old and at Cal Poly my sophomore year when Facebook was first when Cal Poly students were first allowed to log into Facebook, because if you mm-hmm. remember, Facebook originally was just for college. You had to have yeah. a college email address to even log into it, right? Mm-hmm. And so everybody that started using it was 18 years old at the at the outset, just by virtue of what it was targeting and everything. But as Facebook has kind of continued to, and of course, very quickly, it just got opened up to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, Facebook has kind of aged with its audience, like the original people that started using it. And I'm sure that alcohol advertisers are recognizing TikTok will age with its audience. It's not always just going to be for, you know, eight-year-olds hanging out with their friends. It's probably going to age up slowly as its audience that started using it continues to age up. And, you know, advertisers are going to recognize, you know, we want to capture particular audiences there as they're growing into our product range. Um, alcohol though, I think has learned its lesson. Same with cigarettes. Uh, Mm -hmm. they've learned their lessons over the years, especially with the visibility and the ability of people to try and cancel you. You know, they're not really touching TikTok. You're not going to go on there and find that Heineken has a TikTok page on there. Right. And I think that's because they understand that the, the consumers are low. Now there's a legal piece of that, probably a moral piece of it. And there's also just a practical piece, which is like, 
uh, if you're spending money and time and energy advertising your alcohol beverage products, mm-hmm. are you going to go do it at Chuck E. Cheese or Build-A-Bear or advertise <laughs> on Paw Patrol? No, you're not because your audience isn't there. And th- th- you know that's a silly example, but it's the same with TikTok. Like, why go and advertise your product, you know, on there if that's not necessarily your audience? You probably have better pull through utilizing other social media platforms than TikTok. So. Yeah. It's not prohibited, but it's also probably from maybe a moral standpoint, but also just a practical standpoint, not the mm-hmm. best use of your of your ad time um, yeah. because of who your audience is. So I guess that's my my comment uh, on that. Um, it's not <laughs> illegal, but it's maybe not the best idea either. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I'm I'm still laughing about uh, the analogies you're using because. Uh, I think a lot of people see see Gen. I think all Gen Z right now is up in arms about about that. We're not watching Paw Patrol still. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, I could uh, I could be more oh. relate. Maybe Hannah Montana for the generation above them. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, I think. I mean, I think that that's a good place to to kind of wrap up our conversation because this was very enlightening. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't realize maybe we should kind of avoid doing. And and so I'm really glad we have this conversation. Yeah. And I'm, I haven't been invited to clubhouse yet, so I can't even comment on it. So <laughs> I can get you, I can definitely get you, uh, get you into clubhouse. It is, um, it is a really awesome platform. And I think that once I understand it more, uh, and then once you have had a chance to to understand it more, I think that could be a valuable conversation in the future. But right now, I want to learn a little bit more about it before I start talking about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. How, Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Um, how can people connect with you and hire you for your amazing services? <laughs> well, I, ironically, because we were talking about social media this whole time, I actually uh, deactivated my accounts at the beginning of the the beginning of the year, but somewhat related to just not wanting to be completely tied into it when uh, the pandemic was happening. It was, yeah, it, it seemed to uh, create a lot of anxiousness and uh, and absorb a lot of time. Um, yeah. but, uh, and I'm probably going to stick with that. I did reactivate it to make sure I knew what I was talking about for today, uh, <laughs> with all the, the new things that have come out and the guides and whatnot. But, um, you know, the easiest way to, to, to find me is I, I do have a website for my firm. It's seamuslawfirm.com. Uh, mm-hmm. all my contact information is, is on there. You know, most of the, the work I do, uh, has been over the years through people that I've, uh, you know, have relationships with, uh, and, and through word of mouth and, um, but if anybody would like to contact me or has a question or wants to flesh something out that we talked about today, um, you can go there and pull my contact information. I've got an email address. It's wineattorney at gmail.com, which is pretty easy for folks to remember if uh, somebody just wants to pop an email to me real quick. Um, so mm-hmm. those are that. that's it. That's it. You can, I've got an office in downtown Los Alamos right across from the Union Hotel. If you want to come over and take a pull off the keg in here and uh, <laughs> sit down and talk to So once the once we have cleared up... So Sort of with the pandemic and we can all see each other again. That's an easy yeah. way to, to also see me. So that's wonderful. I love yeah. that. And I'll put all of that information into the show notes um, for all those listeners. It'll be super easy to find. So thank you so much, Brian. This was a really valuable conversation and I'm so 
grateful for you taking, again, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. This is, again, just the most valuable conversation. I'm so glad we were able to to do this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, hopefully um, uh, your listeners found some some helpful tips and tricks and, and value in it. Definitely. All right, that's it for episode eight of the Craft and Cluster podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all of the resources mentioned in this episode and to connect with Brian Seamus. If you found this episode super valuable, be sure to rate and review it and spread the love by screenshotting, sharing, and tagging at Craft and Cluster on Instagram. And to make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. I'll see you next Monday. Bye. Hey there, you just listened to the Craft and Cluster podcast, a production of Craft and Cluster owned exclusively by me, Heather Danitz. The opinions and statements in this show are those of me and any guests that appeared on the Craft and Cluster podcast and are for entertainment purposes only. I cannot guarantee any particular result or return on investment based on any statement from this show. But what I can guarantee is my extreme psychitude that you are still listening to this, even though the episode has ended and this is clearly a disclaimer. You are super dedicated. I like that about you.